Comments made on the Ceratoc Podcast Network are those of the individuals and do not represent Ceratoc Corporation, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. Triple Click Home. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Triple Click Home, episode 31. We've almost reached my age for the number Whoa. of episodes, so that's pretty exciting. Got a little ways to go before you reach mine, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, not, not quite so long for me as for Jamie. Yeah, but, uh, right. Hey, that just means that we're wiser, right? Yeah. yeah. We're providing yeah. you all with wisdom from our okay. age. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. So today, as you can see, I'm joined by two uh, lovely gentlemen, Mr. Buddy Brandon. Hello. And Mr. Jamie Pauls. Thank you. <laughs> well, let's start off with the top of the news, shall we? First, we should say... Um, John is probably doing something way more interesting than we are. And, than recording um, a podcast. We can't yeah. really say anything about what that is, but if y'all are fans of John Panneries and MacfortheBlind.com, send him good vibes and uh, things yes, like that because absolutely. Um, he's doing interesting, spiffy, cool stuff. He is doing much. interesting, spiffy, cool stuff. So we, we here at uh, Triple Click Home definitely wish him all the uh, best on uh, what he's doing, which is not being here. No. <laughs> the NFB convention has wrapped up and yes. not a lot came out of said convention. There are a couple of controversial things, though, that did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a couple. And we're not talking about the changing of the guard, so to speak, either. That actually was not very controversial at all. I don't even think that was surprising. No, <laughs> no of course it wasn't surprising. No, it, no, was, it, was, it was, right. was We all knew that was coming. I, I mean, I mm-hmm. like Mark Riccobono a lot, actually. Yeah, sure. But um, not a surprise. And most of the resolutions, in fact, were pretty non-controversial. There was one on net neutrality that failed, and mm-hmm. I think there were good reasons for it to fail, one being that it's such a politically divisive topic that it probably isn't appropriate, and the other the other being that it's um, really not blindness-related, and so right. yeah. we probably didn't really need to take a position on it. And I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think that being that it's not a blindness issue, of course, it's going to impact us. Well, sure. Uh, one way or the but other. All kinds but of things impact us. Lots of things impact us. <laughs> I think that um, that one rightly failed. However, there was another resolution that has been coming up over and over and over again, and it keeps failing. And it was a close thing this time. Well, it was a close. If you listen to the initial vote, all those in favor say aye, signify by saying aye, all those opposed say no. It was a pretty even split. I really couldn't tell. But then when um, they did the roll call of states, um, it passed by a fairly wide margin, I think like uh, 43 to 9 or something like that, wow. which really makes me wonder how the state delegates were polling their membership to see how the membership of each affiliate felt about the resolution or whether they just, you know, picked a position and didn't consult with their delegation. I'm sure that there were some that did one, some that did the other. I don't know. I'd, I'd really like some clarity on that, and I probably will never get any. But after three tries through, it, it did pass. Buddy, what's the resolution? The resolution is that, well, 
boil it down. You can read the actual resolution, all the whereas is and therefore be it resolved. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, but it basically uh-huh. comes down to that we would like to have discussions with Apple in order to ensure accessibility of all apps and that accessibility be a criterion for inclusion in the App Store for Apple to accept an app that we should discuss how to make all apps accessible. And um, I agree with the intent of the resolution. In other words, I think that having accessibility as a criterion for passing muster, so to speak, isn't a bad thing. I don't think that it's a bad thing to ask developers to make their apps accessible, especially where an app was accessible and then in an update, accessibility breaks. That was also part of the resolution is that we don't want steps backwards for apps. We want to be sure that apps that are accessible remain so. It's also important, though, to remember that many apps are accidentally accessible. And so those updates may not have any intention. In fact, they probably don't have any intention of becoming, well, let's screw over the blind guys. No, that's, that's not the intent. Accidental accessibility, in a way, is a good thing because it means that Apple's mm-hmm. done its job in implementing its controls and implementing things such that if you write to their guidelines, that accessibility is transparent. And that's a, a laudable, uh, worthy goal. I think that's fantastic. Where I have a problem uh, is not with the intent of the resolution because, like I say, I think that um, app accessibility is important. And I think that it's time that we step up and be counted and that our needs should be taken into account. Sure. The tools are there. The methods are there. Apple has released not only guidelines and not only guidance, but they've had seminars on, uh, on implementing accessibility and the importance of doing that. They've gone a long way with that. And I think that having discussions on that with Apple and maybe having it be something that's evaluated is a good thing. The problem I have is the word all, and there are just some apps that can't be accessible just because they're so graphically intensive. Right. I'm thinking of a lot of games. I'm thinking of... A lot um, of games. I'm thinking of certain aspects of video and photo editing. Now, certainly there are things that can be made accessible, but okay, I want to cut off the left side of this photo, but how do I know I'm not cutting off the left side of someone's head? That can't be made accessible. There are things that just can't be made accessible. And unfortunately, the NFB is very fond of saying that the resolutions that we make are what drives organization policy. Okay? So when you make a policy and you say the resolutions are what make policy, those resolutions are binding on the organization. So not only does it make the NFB look really unreasonable, which wasn't the intent. Like I say, the intent was good. The intent was laudable. The intent was something I can get right behind. Right. But intent, unfortunately, is not what Apple is going to see. Intent's not what Apple's going to see, but it's not what our policy says. The policy of the NFB now says that we want all apps to be accessible and that we have to kind of go after that. And that not only makes us look really like we're overreaching and and unreasonable, but it puts us, and by way of full disclosure, I'm an NFB member. And I am not. And Jamie, do you want to be full disclosure about that? I'm curious as to when resolutions are written, does anyone, is it like a committee that looks at the wording 
so I can write a resolution if I'm a member and just... Anybody can write a resolution. Now, the resolutions right. committee may go through the resolution and tweak it and, and so on and it. so forth, okay. modify, but anybody can write and submit a resolution. Gotcha. Okay. So the person who wrote this resolution, have they expressed why they chose to use the word all? Or do we know that? I don't know, and I don't know who wrote the resolution or who submitted it, but it did pass out of committee, and they recommended it do pass. But I think it really puts the NFB in a very awkward corner. I also think that we've had so much success over the last five years of actually working one-on-one with developers as a community that I don't know why we would go down this road. There are hundreds of thousands of applications for iOS I would love for a lot of them to be accessible. So I also know Mm -hmm. that that is something that is going to be a process for any developer. And if they choose to go down the road of making it accessible, then by all means, I am happy to be your beta tester and I'm happy to help you out with figuring out what makes it really usable by a screen reader user. When we're talking about accessibility, though, this goes beyond us, guys, right? Sure. I was thinking that that earlier. That's a great point. Yeah. And what does accessibility mean? Mm -hmm. Are we talking about cognitive accessibility? Are we talking about accessibility with... I understand in the context of the NFB, we mean accessibility to blind people, but where does that Right, but what does that mean, right? Now, if you watch the accessibility, uh, iOS accessibility workshop uh, on the WWDC app, she actually says one of the best ways to test for accessibility is by using voiceover. And if you do that, mm-hmm. if yeah. voiceover sees an element and, and interacts with it properly, chances right. are that other disability groups will be able to likewise use it. Sure. But accessibility is a really complicated thing. And that's something that. And how even dare in the NFB, anybody we, ignore. The fact that a a good portion of our blind population, A, is low vision, Mm -hmm. and B, have multiple disabilities. Like, we can't ignore that. It's a way more complicated issue than, yeah, fix it. Mm -hmm. And like I say, I'm all for we need to come to the table with Apple and talk about this, and we need guidelines. But I think I would have felt a lot better about the resolution were a where feasible, where possible, where practical were also slipped in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, the reality is I don't want to live in a world where an app gets denied access to being in the app store because it can't be used with voiceover. Like, that's a stifling on innovation. On the other hand, though, if an app can be made accessible using voiceover, shouldn't it? Yes, but you also have to realize that, I don't know about the two of you guys, but I live in a town where there are other people who are visually impaired. But a majority of my friends don't know anybody else but me. We're a segment of the population that people don't think about until it's right in front of their faces. Right. And I believe that it's okay for us to say to developers, hey, you know, it would be really great if you could implement accessibility into your app. But they don't even know we exist. Like, that's the reality of the situation, which is why... But on the other hand, I think Apple can really play a a, a role here in saying... But how do you you decide if something can become accessible and if something can't? That's a good question. Again, that's where that all problem really, really comes into play. Exactly. And I really have a problem with that. It's a very small word, but Mm -hmm. it's the only problem I have with this. 
Yeah, but it's a word that's going to stick out to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have any problem with, okay, let's talk about this, because that's basically what this says. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how we can implement something so that when apps go through the approval process, accessibility is taken into account. Sure. I don't have any problem with that. Yeah. I'm good with that intent, but I really have a problem with the word all, and it really changes the whole flavor of the thing. Well, and I hate to say it, guys, because I, you know, in full disclosure, I'm not an NFB member, but this just adds another bad taste in my mouth. I don't believe that organizations should ever be in a position of saying it's either this or it's nothing. And I really feel like that's exactly what they're doing right now. To muddy the waters even a little more, I've seen several tweets that say, hey, Apple, NFB doesn't speak for all blind people. So it's actually putting NFB in even a worse position, I think, when the Mm -hmm. community as a gut reaction says, Hey, we don't like this. And so Apple, we want, we want you to know, right. I didn't vote know, on this or it I don't, almost I'm not completely a member of the nullifies NFB. something that like buddy right. said has some good yeah. qualities. Sure. It really does. And I think that that just really, you know, like I say, it's bad for PR in our community, but even worse in a way we're, well, I mean, you know, like the NFB is any stranger to that. <laughs> right. You know, we've taken our lumps, right. But like I say, it just puts us in an awkward procedural corner. As someone who's not an NFB member, I will say that the organization has done a lot of good. Yeah, and sure. And has stood tall and proud and fought for some rights that I have as a non-NFB mm-hmm. member that I probably take for granted and don't even realize. So this is not an NFB bashing session, if anyone's listening no, and thinks that it is. It is not. No, it clearly. Is not. No. But that is something, you know, NFB or not NFB, NFB, ACB, or GDI. Right. GDI being expletive independent the fact of the matter is none of us none of us have gotten to where we are today we didn't get where we are today <laughs> alone right. right no you didn't do this alone no. i didn't do this alone right we did this on the backs and on the shoulders of generations of blind people before us right and whether you like it or not whether you agree with it or not fact of the matter is without some of the work that all of these organizations have done. Mm-hmm. You, you, I'm looking at you and me, <laughs> uh, would not be where we are now. Sure. We wouldn't have the rights that we have now. We wouldn't be talking about this now. Right. But because we are where we are, it's also really important that organizations don't create this line in the sand. And that to me is exactly what they've done. And I really think it's dangerous. And I'm really upset to hear that this is a resolution that's tried to be passed multiple times now. And people just finally bent over and said, fine. Yeah. Yeah. I just really think that it could have been worded much better. And I'm not saying that the position needs to be soft pedaled because I don't think that all was the intent in the way that it reads. I think that the intent really was we don't want to leave things out. You know what? I hate to say it, buddy. I believe that there are people who think that everything should be accessible to us. I agree. But I think also that anyone who actually understands this stuff understands that all isn't reasonable, but maybe we didn't want to leave out categories that could sometime be accessible. And then mm-hmm. then we're stuck in that corner. But I really think that we needed a little bit more wiggle room on this. Well, from resolutions... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to apps that uh, are coming out in August. 
the uh, outside yes, of this resolution. Before the end of August. Yes, yeah. before the end of August. So they say. I never believed deadlines because, you know, like the bus system here in my town was supposed to have the yes. GPS running and functioning again in October of last year. It took until May. So I hope that it's coming schedules out. Schedules aren't schedules, they're suggestions. <laughs> right. So theoretically, before the end of August. We all know how Blio yeah. slipped so, uh-huh, so many uh-huh, times. Yeah. Uh-huh. But let's hope that Blio was a lesson. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the big announcement from NFB, because there were very, very few, which is kind of sad. Freedom Scientific tried to pretend that they had created a note taker by pairing a <laughs> tablet with um, <laughs> a. <laughs> I want a Baum Vario. Oh, yeah, yeah. yes. Baum Vario. Okay, mm-hmm. NFB reader, you were talking about Alina. That's yeah, yeah, where that's, we were going. That's it. Oh. So those of you former Nokia N82 users who spent the money may remember that you used to have a phone that could take a picture and do OCR. And it was apparently amazing. I got to say, guys, I tested out the KNFB reader when I had the chance to without spending mm-hmm. my own money. I was not impressed. <laughs> so You're not the first person I've heard wrong. say that, actually. So apparently, though, now it's going to come out on iOS and it's going to be amazing. That's what they keep on saying, though. The demo was pretty impressive. And of course, we all know that demos are generally stacked to best effect. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. real world results will vary because it is a camera and it is subject to light and shadow and all kinds of things. Right. And if you are totally blind and have no way of knowing what exactly you're taking a picture of, then your results may vary. <laughs> so, of course, um, you know, with things like the stand scan, stand yes, scan, scan, stand, 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 scan, really stand, does make stand, a difference. Stand, mm-hmm. And the giraffe stand and the mm-hmm. other thingy stand. Yeah. Those will help. Yes, absolutely. I have seen some people get very good results from the KNFB reader on the uh-huh. Nokia, but it takes practice. It takes yeah. practice. And so does Prismo, and so does any other yeah. OCR app. There are two things. One is, controversial, I suppose, because people make it. The other one I think is a little more interesting to me. The first one is the price, which is $99, which I nailed, by the way. I pre- in my own <laughs> mind, Go Jamie. Go Jamie. I thought it would be that, and it was. It makes sense Well, it's sense certainly a lot cheaper than the original one. Got to give him yeah, credit yes. for that. And there yeah. were others on Twitter who also said 99 by the way. Now, you know, a lot of people wanted the KNFB reader on the iPhone for a long time, and the reason that they didn't do it was because they didn't have enough control or access to the camera API. Right. Mm-hmm. That started to change with iOS 7. 7. It's going to change even more with iOS 8. Right. And the other part of this, which I find a little more interesting, is that there is no demo and there is no light version, no try 20 scans and see how you like it. I think that's very dangerous. You think it's dangerous if they would provide it or if they would not? No, I think it's dangerous that they're not offering it. Seeing IGPS didn't either. Correct. And for the same stated reason. Right, Right. but you'll notice that they came to their senses, as I would like to say. I'm not sure how they would do that, though, with a one-time purchase app. Here's my my theory as to why they're not. I'll I'll give you mine, then, Alina, let's see what yours is. Let's say that they allowed 20 scans, like Tap Tap C allows you 20 pictures. Mm -hmm. Right. If this thing does have a steep learning curve, and I think we can suspect that it will, and if you are going to need some practice, I think they're concerned that if users take 
10, 15 scans and are not real successful, they're going to say, well, this app doesn't work. I'm not buying it. And that's fine for them to think that way. Right. I also, I also am not just going to plop down a hundred bucks. Now, unless I have a legitimate reason, you know, like I right. paid the state of Oregon a hundred dollars so I could have a teaching license. Like that's not stupid of me because <laughs> that's where I live right, right now. But this is $100 for an app that I've never used, an app that I have no guarantees is actually going to be any better than the current one that I do use, which if I'm taking pictures of mail or things that are pretty standard, in fact, even if I'm taking a picture of like a box of medicine or something in my pantry, Prismo or TapTapC work really, really good. And I've gotten pretty good with TapTapC. Prismo, not so much. Okay. But, I mean, I've gotten good at utilizing both of those applications, and I was willing to spend $10 on Prismo. I'm not willing to spend 99 bucks just because it claims to be amazing. See, I think what we're going to need and what we're probably going to get are early adopters, because they're always early adopters. Oh, yeah. sure. There are going to be early adopters that are going to buy this thing, review it, and then people will know one way or the other for sure whether, yeah, this really can work or no, this is really crap. And NFB better hope that those reviewers are good reviewers, by the way. Uh huh. I think it's going to be all right. I'm probably going to buy it. I don't know if I'm going to buy it right when it comes out, but I will. Right. I'm pretty sure I will buy it and you'll get whatever review thingy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we you know can what, though, buddy? I mean, it also personally. really depends on what kinds of OCR needs you have. Oh, for sure. If all you need is to know what, what something is, Mm-hmm. then a cheaper app may be good enough for you. Right. Or if you spend a lot of time at home where you have access to your computer and scanner yep. or document camera, then why would you spend another $99 on an OCR app? I mean, I stick things mm-hmm. on my scanner and I know that DocuScan is actually going to read them. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. It's not the, oh, let me take a picture of this five times and then really, really hope that I get exactly what I need. So what are some things that this thing better scan for you, Alina? What would tip you toward KNFB I want restaurant reader? menus. That's one for me. Restaurant menus would certainly be great, although I got to say that the last few times I went to a restaurant that was new to me, I got access to their menu on Yelp. Yelp and all menus works. You know, I can even like plan what I want to eat before I leave the house. I don't have to look at the menu while I'm there at the restaurant. But menus would be great. I'm not going to use this in like a store of any kind because, you know, one of the realities that is that I will never know how many different products are. (laughs) Kind of like the barcode scanner, like the um, ID mate. That would be really impractical in the it was in, be in the store. Highly impractical. Mail is almost never urgent enough that I wouldn't just go upstairs and use my own scanner. Now, see, I might actually look at mail a little bit. Like if I come into sure. the mailbox and sit down, I, I might use the okay. uh, OCR. Actually, you know, if it really worked really well and I could, and because uh, one of the things that supposedly I, I think that the presentation said it would do would be you know, detect when you're turning pages and so so you put your book in the stand, scan, 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 scan. <laughs> and then, you know, start it going and click, 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 click. If it if that really worked really well, I'd I'd be digging that. That would be sure. awesome. You know, I just I don't know. I don't want the app to not be successful. And I'm not right. honestly the price is ni- neither here nor there, right? You know right. 
if you want a yearly are you kidding me to, like half of twitter thinks the price is just you know we're being exploited and ripped off again our next article actually talks about some of the most <laughs> expensive apps on the app store to kind of put things in a bit of perspective perhaps yes and some of them are ridiculous there was like a snow globe on there oh my god that like, was really hilarious. you're gonna pay like 299 dollars for a snow globe, snow globe. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah one of my favorites was the GPS app that was like two fifty. Yeah, um, yeah. So the like next you can, time you guys you can get Navigon, Navigon, Navigon. Yeah, yeah. the next time you complain about seeing I GPS because Navigon has okay. offline maps too, and it's a lot cheaper than that. There's a three hundred and forty nine dollar game that you can get. Yes. I forget what it is, but that was um, quite football satisfied. It would not be accessible. Barcelona but, yeah. Madrid. Oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> And then they had a $999 app for people who are members of this club. And essentially, you get a VIP status if you spend the $999. And you have oh, to be a millionaire have, to be accepted. You have to be a millionaire. That's right. So you have to be <laughs> accepted. Into, you have to spend the $999 Hilarious. and then prove that you're a millionaire. And then you get some kind of VIP status. Which for all of us non-millionaires go, uh, what are you talking about? We have a friend who uh, is a mechanic for helicopters. And because he works at a private airport, they have this magazine that, of course, people with pirate planes can afford to to spend the $35 per issue on. Um, (laughs) And it sells things like yachts and really, really expensive cars. And so apparently if you're a millionaire and you want to spend another thousand dollars because it's really just not that big of a deal to you, then you can do that. Just find it between the couch cushions there. And, uh, (laughs) well, you know, buddy, we have an update to an app that's free. Um, we do. Sarotech knows a little something about this app. Uh Uh, I blink radio. Maybe you might've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool update. You can now download content and listen to it offline. I'm so glad that that's finally here. <laughs> you get yes. your fav- favorite Sarah Talk podcasts and mm-hmm. triple click home and all that and listen mm-hmm. to them on the airplane. Yes. Okay. After you yes. turn your electronic device on to prove that it's not a bomb. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we even showed the Android folks a little love this time around. We did. Mm-hmm. Yes. We did. They can do this too. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, they can. So all ye Mac and iOS users, there is a new security update. If you haven't seen any notification on your phones slash Macs slash iPads settings and get it. And are yes. you going to notice any changes? No, it's really no. not an update for you. It's an update to make sure that your devices are more secure and deal with some bug fixes, which again, you probably won't even notice because... In a lot of cases, we users don't notice all the things that are buggy, but our developers do. But you know that people are going to look for new and interesting exploits and new and interesting ways to do things from the lock screen that you're not supposed to be able to do from the lock screen. Mm, And mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that several 911 call centers will get phone calls (laughs) from said exploit tracking. By the way, don't try this at home. Please go into your uh, settings and do your updates. It's always, always necessary that you keep your devices as updated as possible. Yes. And that keeps you safe and it keeps your data safe. And that's really important. And it gives us something to talk about on Twitter. My update is at 47%. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, I don't do I that. Don't. 
I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't look for those tweets from me. No, you won't see them from me. All right. So beyond no. updates to your system, there's now a new update for the iTunes U app. For all ye who have totally forgotten that iTunes U actually exists. Yes, there is that. Myself included. Yeah, I've got it on my phone and I think I've opened it once. Same right. here. And as somebody who just graduated from a distance education program, I can talk about the fact that these changes that Apple is making to iTunes U is pretty critical for, I think, its future success. So one of the things that you haven't seen in iTunes U up until this newest update is a way to actually interact with your fellow people who are taking a class. And that's really ridiculous. And it makes it completely a self-study. Well, yeah, it puts you in a kind of a bubble. And yeah, who wants to be in a bubble? (laughs) Well, and even if you have questions, you don't really have an opportunity to have those go to a professor of any kind. It's really just been a, hey, you want to learn about this? Take this course. And that's great, but it also doesn't really benefit the users as much as we like to think it does. Yeah, the other thing is that it's not really using this technology to its fullest potential. Absolutely. now we're seeing a lot more of that potential being realized. I mean, they're using Coursera, I think, as a model, and... The courses from Coursera are really treated as things that you can earn certificates of completion from. And even if it doesn't count as a true class in college, because we still haven't gotten to that point, it's something that you can put on a resume. It's something that you can really count as I legitimately went and learned and participated in this. And here's even things that I can show you that I did during that course. And iTunes U has not offered that to us. And so I'm really glad to see that Apple says, hey, you know, education is where we started and education is where we're going to continue to be. We're not um, leaving our education peeps behind. Right. Yeah. And by the way, you can have discussion forums and all that sort of thing. But lest you think you can act up in class and pass notes and all that, the teacher is watching and she can or he can delete (laughs) That's right. Topic discussions. Mm-hmm. So right, and I think that no that's snark. really important <laughs> yeah. as well. Keep the snark to a dull roar, please. <laughs> right, and also I really hope that this is a turn for Apple to getting back into our school systems. I don't know when the change happened. Was it the late nineties? Because I remember that. Yeah, Apple kind of was, was the. Mm-hmm. Only yeah, Apple thing was available. the thing that you'd see in school. Right. Yeah. And now you walk into a K-12 classroom and your chances of seeing a Macintosh are very low. Mm. Yeah. You see lots of right. crusty old Windows machines and some of them are quite crusty and quite old. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Are they crusty and old? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you think to yourself, why, why isn't anything actually being accomplished during class? Oh, it's because it took... 10 minutes for said child to log in to the computer and get themselves to where I asked them to get to. I actually experienced that multiple times at the school for the blind. And it was almost infuriating because you can't do anything in that period of time except wait for the children to log on to the computer and get to wherever you're going to next. And it's like, this is not useful. When I only have 60 minutes of class, <laughs> that We'd like that to use at least is, 58 of them. 
Yeah, that would be great. So I hope the update to iTunes U makes it more useful and makes it more of a tool for both K-12 and university courses too. Yeah, definitely. Other things that might be useful are hardware, like maybe a new iMac. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A new iMac would be very useful, although, you know, I think that this review is trying to be very nice and very politic in um, really <laughs> glossing over the fact that this new iMac, while $200 uh, cheaper, is also basically a MacBook Air with a great big screen and no battery. Right. Mm-hmm. I was listening to Twit and they brought up the fact that if this is really uh, Apple's way to push towards education again, because I really think that's one of the reasons they came out with this thing. That may well be what it is. Yeah. But the Mac Mini would be a much better investment for you. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other thing that they may be doing is trying to get more people into the Apple ecosystem. So they've got right. You know, this thing to sync all of their new spiffy iOS 8 things with. And, mm-hmm, you know, with mm-hmm. um, Yosemite, they'll be able to do all of the, you know, sharing applications and sessions and all that sort of thing. And they'll have this nifty computer to do that with. But the other thing that I'm kind of seeing here is that Apple's going in two directions. And I'm really wondering where the iMac fits in that. And by that, I mean they're going. Very portable, right? Because you've got mm-hmm. the MacBook Pro with Retina. Mm-hmm. You've got the MacBook Air, very right. light yes. machines with long battery life. You've got the iPad and the iPhone. So you're, mm-hmm. you're going very portable. And then you're also going very high end with the Mac Pro. Right. Which makes me think that Apple is going to really start concentrating on mobile. On If they really do something with a wearable, you're looking at mm-hmm. a lot of things that you can carry around so you can have Apple with you wherever you go. And then, of course, their traditional market for high-end videographers and that sort of thing. Right. And in that kind of world where you're looking at very portable and very high-end, where does something the like the iMac fit in? Indeed, where does something like the um, Mac Mini fit in? Mm-hmm. Except, as you say, maybe in education where... Actually, where most of the Mac Minis that get purchased end up becoming media servers, I think, in a lot True. of cases. True. It's a great little machine. What I wonder about is have they addressed, and I, I suspect that they have just because people also use, like you say, use them for, if not media servers, other kind of, to serve other kinds of things because now OS ten server is just a, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a bunch of extra yeah. packages that you don't have to buy. Right. Have they addressed the issue where you have to have a display connected or it kind of doesn't run very well? I don't know. With newer that Mac is Minis. a question. I, I wonder don't know about the that because I don't think we've seen a Mac Mini refresh right. since last year. Was it last year or the year before? That sounds right. I don't know. It it's last been a while, year. but I don't think the Mac Mini is going anywhere. I don't think the Mac Mini is going anywhere. I don't think the iMac is necessarily mm-hmm. going anywhere. But yeah. I think that this introduction was just kind of a yeah, you wanted a cheaper iMac. This is what you get, kind of thing. If you can spend right. the extra couple hundred bucks and you and bucks, you really yeah. want an iMac, mm-hmm. spend the extra couple hundred bucks. Right. So, Jamie, what do you think? Why do you think they came out with this "quote unquote" cheaper iMac? I like your idea about just wanting to get iMacs in the hands of as many people as they can. Probably the whole education thing. I think they're just looking at all of their options and just trying some stuff and. Maybe kind of mm-hmm. seeing what sticks and what people really like. But uh, I'm like you guys. I see no reason to do that, to purchase mm-hmm. this unit. If you can 
save your pennies. If you're going to pay that much money, you can surely wait another couple hundred bucks and get a better deal. So one of the things they mentioned on Twit uh, about why would you want an iMac instead of a Mac Mini in an education? And I think this was an interesting point, which was that with the iMac, it's all built in to right. one thing. And it's right. less stuff for children to take out. Okay. That's a good point. As far as that components go. That's a good point. And I can attest that it seems like there are students out there that think that it's really fun to just take out every cord from the device. And then you're like, well, why is it not working? Oh, oh, okay. That would be why. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that. And of course I should have, because when I was in high school, <laughs> during our computer literacy class, now our it was really kind of amusing because the computer literacy teacher was a very nervous woman and you know, when she had a blind kid in her class, she just didn't know what to do about that at all. And <laughs> You strange creature, yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, so me and this one other guy, and I can't remember what his name was, but we went around, and it was great because, you know, we had these old IBM PC XTs and um, uh-huh. you know, the IBM XT, and it's maybe okay, there was an AT in yourself. there. Yeah, no, well, well, I mean, like, they, they had more modern DOS machines, but these were Okay. ancient and, they, and we booted them up oh, and God. wrote things in basic and i had a lots of fun making the computer make siren noises and stuff just to freak <laughs> the teacher out because she was so nervous but me and this other guy a sighted classmate of mine we went around and uh-huh. because you could do this on the ibm keyboards uh-huh. you'll remember we went around and we took all the keycaps and we rearranged them in alphabetical order <laughs> oh no <laughs> 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 and buddy just demonstrated why we teachers love our students <laughs> so very much especially when they decide to do things that make us want to throw them out the window <laughs> speaking of keyboards uh <laughs> yeah speaking of those things we have an article here of the top 10 keyboard short guests Shortcuts? Shortcuts? <laughs> Maybe not so much that. <laughs> Shortcuts that everyone needs to know. I knew all of these. I was not shocked. I knew all of these as yes. well. But we're all blind and we have to use the keyboard. <laughs> uh, pretty much. Right. Well, actually, we've been using Macs for a long time. So this right. is a great reference for new it people and stuff. So, yeah. yeah. And it goes back to our conversation about the fact that when you learn how to use a computer, you need to learn how to use the operating system. And to me, mm-hmm. knowing these keyboard shortcuts is just as important as me knowing all of the Windows keyboard shortcuts if I was using a Windows operating system. Yes, absolutely. And again, we stress understanding concepts mm-hmm. rather than if I mash this key, it does this thing. Well, <laughs> then you have to differentiate between which keys do this thing with the operating system and which right. keys drive the screen reader, mm-hmm. right? You have to know that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. But it is a handy little reference. And I recommend that anybody it who is. doesn't know all your Mac commands to please look at this reference. I always tell my students as well that one of the best things you can do on a Mac and a PC is to go through the menu system. Because mm-hmm. what does that menu system tell you? It tells you all of your keyboard shortcuts after you get the description of what it is you're clicking on. Now, is yeah. there a keyboard shortcut for everything in the menu? No, there's not. But there's a lot of keyboard shortcuts that you can learn 
And then Oh, and one really cool thing about the Mac though is that if it's on the menu, uh-huh. You can create a keyboard shortcut for it. Yes, you can. Of That's course, right. eventually you run out of keys and you have to um, <laughs> be a yeah. bit creative. Unfortunately. But you can actually define a keyboard shortcut to be global or local to a particular app. Right. And that's also a really cool feature of the Mac. By the way, that's not something you can do in Windows. Mm, no. One of the things I haven't learned yet is what kind of computer stuff I'm going to be dealing with in my job. And Ooh. I'm, I'm just uh, rubbing my hands and playing the... <laughs> oh, God. Be very oh afraid. God. <laughs> that's okay. And a pro tip, Mac voiceover commands do not work on Windows machines. <laughs> no, oh my they gosh. do not. <laughs> they do not. And uh, the many is the time that I've tried. Yeah. Part of the job hunt I was me dealing with both a Windows and a Mac because as much as I would like to say that things are always accessible on my Mac, they're not. And they so not. there were multiple times when I would go over to my PC and I would use Windows to try and accomplish filling out these job applications, which didn't even Which sometimes work worked Mac and sometimes didn't because, hey, guess what? Not everything's accessible on the PC either. No. Right. No. And then I'd come back over to my Mac and then I'd try and do something and I'd go, oh, that's wrong. Okay. Okay. And then I'd go over to the PC and I'd be doing these other commands and, oh, that doesn't work. Oh, right. Okay. It's especially fun when part of something is accessible on the Mac and then you get to a part that's not and it's accessible yeah. on the PC, and you do that part. And then the next part's not accessible on the PC, but it is on the Mac. And so, you, uh -huh. I mean, like when I was doing my taxes, <laughs> I think I used two operating systems and three oh, browsers. Yeah. I was up to four <laughs> browsers. And every time I gave up, I would always say to my husband or whatever sighted person was going to help me finish said application, like, I did four different browsers and two different screen readers, and I'm really just sorry, but it's not happening. Like, <laughs> I can't access this. It was really interesting, though. There were multiple times when Chrome came through for me on my Mac. Yes. When Safari did not. Yes. Sometimes Chrome with Chromevox does mm -hmm. things that... Other things don't do. I can think of one example. Okay, if you haven't read the um, Chet and Bernie Mysteries by Spencer Quinn, which isn't his real name, but anyway, okay. Spencer Quinn, the first one is called Dog On It. There okay. are like That's seven or eight of them. Yeah. They're, uh -huh. they're mystery detective books told from the point of view of Chet the Dog, who is the dog which... <laughs> is awesome. the partner of Bernie Little of the Little Detective Agency. And uh -huh. um, if you haven't read these, you should. And especially, okay. you should get them from Audible. I mean, many of them are available on Bard, but the Audible reader is phenomenal. Uh -huh. Okay. He has the perfect voice What does that have to do with Chromebox? <laughs> He's okay. yes, I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting there. There's a website called ChetTheDog.com, which is the official uh -huh. website of the author and the book series. And it's really funny sure, because sure. it's a blog. Okay. Uh -huh. And there's a group of users and I drop in on these guys every so often and they're super cool, but there's a group of users who have sort of co-opted the blog comments and turned them into their own like personal communications bulletin board. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so like, you know, here's a blog post and then here are like, you know, two or three pages, like a hundred and something comments of, people talking sometimes 
as the voices of their animals, sometimes as people. Oh my and, gosh. And just having these con- these side conversations for pages Patience. and pages, and and it's a riot. They're fantastic folks, and unfortunately, though, the comments are split up into pages of fifty comments each. And uh-huh. with Windows screen readers, you can't access access pages two and three and and so forth. Uh, with Safari, oh. you can't access pages two and three and so forth. You can only <laughs> access them by using Chrome Vox with Chrome. Oh my goodness, that's. Wow. Really fascinating. I also found that sometimes, you know, one of the things I like to do on my Mac sometimes is route the mouse cursor to where my keyboard cursor is, which sometimes is the only way I can hit the button. But that doesn't always work either. Sometimes I'm like, no, come on, you want to route there? It's like, no, I don't. Uh (laughs) I actually have all of my cursors following, so usually I don't have to route. But sometimes you you have to, and even still, it doesn't. Sometimes it just won't. Okay. But well, we digress about keyboards and what? operating systems. Digress? And- <laughs> Us? Never. Maybe we should watch some television now. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on and watch some TV. I have to say, guys, that at this point, I am going to utilize the hide feature on my Apple TV to about 90% <laughs> of what has shown mm. up in the last six months because it is just frustrating now to find where what I actually want yeah. to watch. Because I don't have access to a number of these things, even though I have a cable subscription, or I just don't care. Like, <laughs> I just, this is never going oh, to happen. Oh, come on, you I don't want Crunchyroll? Oh my God. <laughs> so I'm really excited that Apple TV is continuing to grow and get yeah. more options. And I really appreciate that ABC News is actually something yeah. that's available to everyone, regardless of your cable subscription. Yeah. Yes, thank you. That, that was a good thing. And apparently there's also a lot of historical content on there, right. which should be really interesting. And the PBS Kids is also available to anyone. You PBS have to do like this Kids. online sign-up thing. Yeah, PBS Yeah, well, the, the regular PBS app, yeah, you have to sign up for the regular PBS Correct. app. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. anyone can get it. You don't, you know, right. it's like. Yeah, you don't need a cable you know. subscription. What I want to know, though, is does the PBS Kids app, A, have Sesame Street, and B, does it have like classic Sesame yeah. Street? Because oh, that's all I really that be classic. awesome? Yeah, it would. Oh, I would actually. love it. Like pre Elmo Sesame Street, just I want it to have um, Reading Rainbow. Oh, Reading Rainbow, yeah. I love yeah. Reading Rainbow. Did you guys see that their uh, Kickstarter is now the highest grossing? Oh, I, oh, I wow. didn't see that, but I unfortunately yeah. also have not backed it. I'm a bad I person. I haven't either. I'm a terrible mm. person. <laughs> well, you know, there was that one article talking about how um, it's misguided and really, you know, if you really care about literacy, you shouldn't back the Reading Rainbow thing because it doesn't really address the problem. And it's just LeVar Burton trying to, you know. What a terrible attitude. I thought it was a rotten attitude. It came out like the second day after the Kickstarter campaign started. Uh huh. I might have it favorited. I'll have to send it to you if I do. <sighs> so, Jamie, what do you think about this new abundance of Apple TV options? My cable provider is Zito Media. Have you ever heard of Zito Media? I have not. Most I have people not. probably have not either. It's small. And so they use tin cans and string, right? I'm thinking something because I really was excited <laughs> oh, about watching some stuff on history the other night. And it said, well, yeah. look for your cable provider. And of course it wasn't there. So I'm a little uh, bummed. Um, we'll have to see. Man. E- either they need to add some more stuff or I'm going to have to do something different with cable. So we'll have to. But no, like you guys, I'm pleased that Apple continues to add new content 
to Apple TV. I mentioned this whole hiding thing, which I have not done, but uh, there's a whole no. guide. And part of that guide is how to hide all the crap that you just don't care about. And that's something I really need to do because we're up to like. I don't know, 50 different items on the yeah. screen now of things that I could choose it's from. Lots. It's, it's more a lot. than three. It's a lot. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to hit the down and left arrow and right arrow buttons just so that I can find what I want. Mm. Bonk. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Bonk. <laughs> so I guess uh, if you get tired of watching television, and reading this guide that we have here on how to use Apple TV to its fullest, you could look at the privacy enhancement in iOS 8 that our... Yeah, and you can set it up so that nobody knows that you're reading it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, right. There exactly. Actually, this is really cool. It really is, actually. It, it's going to be a good thing. I'm very pleased with all of these enhancements, frankly. Yeah, I mean, like, you'll be able to really have super fine-grained control over what's shared and what isn't. Mm-hmm. On an app by app basis, and even a content by content basis, kind of almost. I was especially happy to see that apps finally will no longer be able to access my own entire content. Yeah, that was interesting. Which I've never given permission to any app to mm. do. Maybe Facebook. I think that's it. I don't let apps have my contact information. That just weirds me out. <laughs> yeah. But I also like that we'll be able to decide if something can have access to our location all the time versus right. only some of the time. I'm always hesitant to to give permission for my location unless it's something where I'm like, yeah, you really should know where the heck I am. Like yeah. <laughs> GPS yeah. or something? Right. Yes. Foursquare? Yeah. Yeah. Really, why does um, this book reading app need to know where I am? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. How about we just say nay? Nay. Also... I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I definitely can see when I allow an app to have access to my location, watching my battery life just go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. You'll be able to track which apps are eating up your batteries. Yeah, that'll be nice. Absolutely. Another thing I don't know about y'all, but uh, I think I need a break. How about you? You need a break? Okay. Let's go ahead and do that. Let's just give Buddy a break, and we'll take one, too. And when All we right. come back, okay. we'll talk about rumors. Yay! And apps. Yes. And rumors. And, and app rumors. Yay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on, Buddy. We love rumors. We'll be right Yay. back on Triple Click Home, episode 31. Looking for a cross-platform solution to quickly convert printed materials and PDFs into text, MP3, or DAISY formats? Check out Serotech's DocuScan Plus. For just $299, use DocuScan Plus on your Windows or Mac computer. Store documents in the cloud for easy retrieval and access them from anywhere. For more information, visit www.docuscanplus.com. Well, welcome back, everybody, from our lovely little break. Well, as we mentioned before the break, we are going to talk about rumors. Not too many rumors. Nah. Just a few. The estimated date of the next iPhone is now September 19th, which, by the way, is Pirate Day. (laughs) Arrgh. Arrgh. So, sounds good to me. Yep. It be sounding good to me as well. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yes, yar. The rumor yar. be that there is going to not be a 16 gigabyte option anymore that will start at 32 
The next one will be a 64 and then 128 possibility. Yeah, the article didn't mention a 128, but a 128 wouldn't surprise me in the least. No, it wouldn't surprise mm, I would me. I would not be being very, very much surprised by a 128. <laughs> what the article does say, though, is the that article. there is. The article. <laughs> I love that, buddy. <laughs> it does not say that there does seem to be anything pointing to a larger display. Mm. See, I've been seeing all these rumors and they're like, oh, here's something that leaked and it's showing uh, the 5.5 inch mm-hmm. display, but yeah, it's got a huge bezel. And uh, mm-hmm. if Apple's going to release something like that, which I'm still not convinced that they are, are. it's going to be sleek and elegant because like, that's what they do. Yeah. Right. Also, I don't know about the two of you, but I do not want a phablet. I just don't. No. No. My 5S no. is plenty large enough for me as a phone. I do not. Want something bigger? Any screen over five inches. In fact, mm-hmm. I think five inches would be the absolute upper limit of yeah. anything that I'd be comfortable with for a phone. If they're really going to go larger, I think 4.7 is large enough. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you want larger, get an iPad mini. That's damn straight. <laughs> <laughs> I agree and get off my lawn. That. I <laughs> <laughs> Nope, I don't want a phablet either. I say no iPhablet this time around. I have the iPad mini and I love it, but I'm still, as a voiceover user, have to remind myself about the whole split screen thing. And yeah. sometimes it drives me bonkers. I'm like, yes. why can't I access? Oh, right. Because it's, oh, yeah, it's over on that side. That's right. It's over yeah, on that I, side. I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't want my iPhone to be that way. No. Well, and I also don't want to hold something like that up to my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had somebody finally show me one of those phablets. Like they've got one, somebody I know has one of the Samsungs mm-hmm. and I handed it back and said, why do you want, this is not a phone. Well, because it's got a big screen and it's cool. Yeah, sure it is. So buddy, how is Disney going to get us a cool iWatch? I actually really liked this article. Yeah. I like this article a lot. I hate yeah. the headline because I just do on general <laughs> principle, but. I really like the article. It has some really interesting ideas. And you'll remember last month I had mentioned something about that I thought that one use for an Apple wearable thing would be as a secondary ID type thing to unlock your front door and that sort of thing. Yeah. And um, man, this takes that and just blows it up all kinds of ways to infinitely huger. Mm -hmm. For our listeners, it's a trip to Disneyland that this author took and they use a bracelet of wearable uh, magic device. band uh, mad, yes, yes that pretty much does everything that you need to do in the park and in the, at the it's hotel got a little, including little spending chip. your money right yes. that's Which, the part that kind of scares me <laughs> it's like oh I really like that I mean if you thought pulling out your wallet and swiping your credit card was easy yeah. no this is like no, here hold your no. wrist up here uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. put your bluetooth thingy there okay you just spent how much money? Oh yes. <laughs> it was so easy, though. Yeah. It's painless until after. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it really, I think that that's one way we can see this going. Again, I was listening to MacBreak Weekly last week, and they were talking about how their panel of people really does not believe that a watch of any kind is really going to become anything. Mm. And I honestly agree with them. Like, unless it becomes a productivity tool for me, 
I don't want something sitting on my wrist that's not useful. And I've seen a couple of articles that talk about the fact that no company yet has actually targeted women at all. And the ones that are available on the market right now literally like fit my arm. I can't wear that on my wrist. It's huge. And I don't know. I don't know if Apple's going to go there, but I like the idea of it being a wristband mm-hmm. that actually like functions. Maybe it'll be for like a being... pendant. Yeah. There you go. With these other rumors about the iWatch, when they're talking about something with a two and a half inch display, that sounds oh, awful big to me to be putting on somebody's wrist. Unless yeah. you're like yeah. some big old huge athlete on steroids or something. Right. I mean, that just sounds big. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Only time will tell. Like, it'll be really interesting to see what happens, but I don't know. I don't have a lot of excitement about wearables right now because I just don't see the point. We have an article here. We we move from rumors to um, kind of speculation here, if you will, or opinion, mm-hmm, I guess. Mm-hmm. So um, rumors to why, kind of rumors. It, well, yeah, there's that. Why would <laughs> Apple want to make their software free. This speculates mm-hmm. that it's to kind of drive uh, the competition to give stuff away free. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and like this article says, this isn't the first time they've done this. What's happened is they're going to stop support for some of their professional photo editing software, and they're going to come out with a new thing called Photos. Love the creative naming. <laughs> yeah. But they're going to come out with that and just replace it. And that's kind of what they've been doing with Mavericks, with iWork, with, um, and, and they've done it before. And it's really putting the hurt on some other companies that make their living with this stuff because, um, well, geez, um, why should I buy your thingy when I can get this thingy for free unless mm-hmm. I've got a very specific need for it? And that's right. it right there. Most people don't need all of the high-end features. I mean, there's so much, Alina, you've talked about this before on this podcast, that you can do with Microsoft Office that you don't need to do or care to do. But yet you still... Have to pay for that. You still pay for it. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, uh-huh. I, and I've I've been saying for years that Office, and I'm I'm picking on Office specifically, mm-hmm. has please do and and Word specifically, even more specifically, it's, Word has mm-hmm. way too many features to actually be useful. Yeah. yeah, like writers use Word because like that's what people expect. It's not because it's more productive or anything like that, because it's not. If it were honestly productive for somebody who writes for a living, why would we yeah. have apps like on the Mac, for example, like Write Room, mm-hmm. hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. which is a big thing, that a big screen that's blank, so you can write right. stuff on it. Because yes. for some reason, Microsoft decided at some point that Word was no longer going to be a word processor. It was going to attempt to be a desktop publisher, mm. which it's also not. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, which is why they still make publisher, right? And no offense to the entire cited community, but why the hell do we have to make everything that we publish flashy? You know, one of the things that they've been doing in textbooks apparently recently is that they've decided you have to fit as much as you possibly can onto the paper. So they put words sideways or at a diagonal. Oh, up and down that's the left and right columns. Not? Oh, I'll, I'll bet it's great fun <laughs> to read. Yeah. So much for creative use of white space. Yeah. I know. When I was in high school journalism, we were always talking about layout and using white space to greater effect and all that. And now it's like, what white space? Yeah. <laughs> no, there is no more white space. And honestly, I would think that it's overwhelmingly distracting. Mm-hmm. Um. 
When I think about helping a person with low vision navigate the web, my brain just kind of explodes because there's only so much we can do to help them visually find what they need to find because websites are so filled and then your eyeballs can't find anything. (laughs) It's just, I don't, I don't get it guys. So Apple, of course, is going to make their software free. Why? Because they don't need the money. Like, let's just be clear about this, guys. That's it. Well, you know, that that harkens back to when Jamie was talking about maybe Apple's just throwing stuff up against the wall to see what sticks. The thing Mm -hmm. is, they can afford to be wrong. Yeah. They can afford to be wrong. Like, their company doesn't ride on their next decision. Right. Right. I also appreciate, now that they fixed our little bug that came out with... uh, Mavericks in text edit with not reading past the first page. Now that that's been fixed, finally. Yay. I don't remember how long it took them. Yeah, can we do something um, about iBooks, please? Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes, iBooks please. is a disaster. <laughs> I was so excited for it to come out on the back, and then I was like, uh, this is not useful. Thank you yeah. uh, for <laughs> that one, guys. Nice yeah. way to screw up the accessibility on iBooks. Speaking of Mac... <laughs> And software and learning how to use the Mac. Yeah. We have a great little interview here from Jamie who uh, decided to talk with Janet Ingber. Uh Is that how I pronounce it? Yes. Janet Ingber. Mm -hmm. She's just come out with a book called learning how to use the Mac with voiceover and available from the national Braille press publisher of many fine technically technical books about all sorts of things. Right. And Jamie, I haven't had a chance to read this or hear your your lovely interview yet, but how do you feel as a Mac user about this book? And I have actually had a chance to look at it. In fact, I have it. Um, it's a very okay. well done book. If you've read the material that, for example, either, uh, well, let, let's take uh, Anna Dresner, which everyone is familiar with, mm-hmm. uh, her work. It's more in a narrative style. And this book is very okay. well done. It is, I would say it's very dense in that it's, a lot of information. It's like, if you need to do this, here's how you do it. And if you want to do that, then here's okay. how you do this. So it's more of a reference. It's not, I mean, you can okay. read it from cover to cover. And in fact, I plan to, but it's not really designed so much that way, I think, as it is just a really well put together, a lot of views. It's kind of where the Apple manual leaves off, the getting started with voiceover. Okay. Nice. With that manual, it's, okay, this is voiceover, and this is what voiceover does. And if you want voiceover to do such and such, these are the keystrokes you use. Whereas this book talks about, I was having some trouble in iTunes the other day, and I went Uh to it and found what I needed. And when you know what you're doing, burning a CD in iTunes uh, is actually quite, quite fun, quite simple. Yeah. Awesome. And I like that it's a reference because I think it for is. some people that's really what they need. And yeah. um agreed. Even those of us who've been using a Mac for five years, I mean, I'm never gonna tell you that I know how to do everything. Sure. <laughs> so tons tons of stuff I'm sure mm-hmm. I don't know how to do. Yeah, exactly. But that's why it's great to have these reference tools available. Oh, absolutely. And thank you, Janet, for going to the trouble of uh making that happen. One of the things we talk about on the Triple Click Home podcast a lot is education, training, how to learn how to do things in a logical step-by-step manner. And joining me today on the podcast is someone who's going to help us do that, Janet Ingber. Welcome to Triple Click Home. Thank you, Jamie. I'm very happy to talk to you. Now, Janet, you have written a book entitled Learn to Use the Mac with VoiceOver. And uh, we're all familiar with the Getting Started manual that Apple provides 
which is free, and you know, no one's going to complain about free. So what does your book provide that maybe Apple kind of doesn't in their free manual? My book goes into details on a lot of the parts of voiceover. So it covers Safari, and it covers text edit, and it covers mail, and it covers it in much more detail and much more step-by-step than the regular Apple voiceover manual that comes with your computer. Right. I told someone the other day, the voiceover manual just says, this is what voiceover is, and this is what it does, and this is how you get it to do what it needs to do. But it doesn't tell you anything really, well, very little, about how to actually use the Mac. So correct. I've been waiting for a book like yours for a long time, and I'm really pleased to see that you and National Braille Press have been able to partner up and do this thing. What made you decide to do it in the first place? I didn't. They actually recruited me because the publisher, Diane Croft, is familiar with my Access World work, and I had done a bunch of Mac articles, and, and she contacted me and said, do you want to do this? Now, how long have you been a Mac user? About a year and a half. Okay. Sometimes I think there's a benefit in working on something as a new person because you still know what it's like to learn. Someone who's been using it forever just takes things for granted sometimes, but a person who has recently approached the subject can identify with the person who's doing it for the first time. Did you kind of feel that as you were writing this book? Absolutely. I actually learned so much while I was doing it. And even now, there are things that I've written in the book that sometimes I have to go back and check how to do Uh, certain operations. But yeah, I didn't want people going through that frustration that you're going to get with any new operating system or any new computer. And so I just tried to organize things as much as I could and have it easily accessible in the book so that you could either read it cover to cover or go back and use it as a reference manual. That's great. And of course, the nice thing about National Braille Press is that they offered the book in multiple formats so that whatever you're comfortable with. I was visiting with someone on Twitter or on Facebook this morning who said, can I read the book on my Mac? And I said, well, certainly you can pick your poison because, (laughs) and I don't mean that derogatorily about your book, just that expression, but kind of how you want to approach it. What formats does this book come in? It comes in ASCII text download. It comes in a DAISY CD, Word CD, Word download, and Braille, and I might be missing one. It's interesting. I got an email from somebody from Malaysia, and her thing was that, you know, I want to be able to put this on my iPad. You know, is there a format Mm -hmm. that I can do that in, you know, a text format or something? And yeah, Mm -hmm. so read it in any way you want. Right. And when you mentioned Braille, it's hard copy Braille as well as the e-Braille, electronic Braille format that they're famous for, I guess you might say. I tend to like instant gratification, so I tend to get that e-Braille, and I do have a Braille display. So that makes it great. Although this time around, I did get the Daisy version and stuck it happily on my Victor stream and have been enjoying reading it. Haven't gotten a long ways into it, but the things I've discovered is like, for example, mail. You really cover mail in some depth, don't you? Yeah, because when I got my Mac at the Apple store, the first thing I wanted to get was my email. I Mm -hmm. felt that that was really critical, and so I covered that because if you get your Mac, you know, that's really one of the first things. You want to be able to communicate with people. You want your email. So I made sure to really go in depth on how to do that. I know you can't cover all of the topics, but what are some other things that you really went into some depth on that you think people will especially benefit from? The voiceover utility and how to customize different things, what's there, what you have to do, and what if you do this and it doesn't happen, are there alternatives? So, for example, 
if you happen to be running Mavericks, the voiceover utility, when you go into it, will automatically bring you into the utilities category table. If for some reason you didn't update to Mavericks and you were still using Mountain Lion, when you go into the utilities category, you won't land on the table. You have to VO right arrow over to it. And so I want okay. you to make that really clear because not everybody was going to update. That's a good point, actually, because even as we're looking at Yosemite just around the corner, there are people who are still on Mountain Lion saying, I don't know that I want to upgrade to Mavericks just yet. Right. You know, Mavericks had its good points and Mountain Lion did. You know, and, and sure. there were some changes, and it was really frustrating for a lot of people. Yeah, especially in mail, I guess, was kind of the sticky one there for a while. So when you sit down to write a book like this, and to be honest with you, it just it seems daunting to me, how did you even begin to outline your approach? I didn't do a formal outline. I did a very, very rough outline. And through working with everything, I made changes to it. Like initially, I wasn't going to discuss how to put windows on your Mac, and then after speaking with Diane Croft, who's the publisher from National Braille Press, we decided, yeah, that should go on. But I knew the basic chapters that I wanted to cover were mail, iTunes, text edit, the voiceover utility, and all the major, major areas that people are going to use. And of course, to also describe what the dock looks like and what the home screen looks like and how things are laid out. And yes, I did get sighted assistance to do that. Since I'm blind, I had no idea what that really looked like. And I felt that that was really important for people to know how that was laid out. Right. That's very good. As far as writing style, some books are kind of a narrative form. Some are more journaling. Yours is kind of what I've seen so far is pretty tightly packed. Is it more of narrative or is it just more of, hey, this is what you can do and here's how to go about these steps? When I originally started writing it, it was much more, this is what you can do, and this is how you go about the steps. I'm used to writing articles. And now, all of a sudden, I'm writing a book. And Diane basically made some edits, and I was able to get an idea of what she wanted. So, like, in this case, on one of the chapters on, like, how to set up a keyboard commander, it says something, okay, you now know how to set up a keyboard commander to do so-and-so. So, it's a much more relaxed kind of style than Mm -hmm. most articles are. But yeah, it's definite difference. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. The book hasn't been out for a long time, but I'm just kind of curious as to what feedback you've gotten so far. I've gotten some emails from people who are really, really happy with it. Apparently, NBP is getting good feedback, so I haven't had any complaints so far. I haven't had anybody tell me something's wrong. Is it possible that there is something There's an error in here? Yeah. I mean, it's a big book, and it's been gone over several times, and we've picked up several errors. But, you know, anything is possible. But all the feedback I'm getting so far is positive. I know one of the things the, I believe it's the Take Control books do, is they will say, hey, there may be errors in this book. If you find them, you know, report them here. They'll, like, have a blog or or whatever where they can actually update. And that kind of brings us to... (laughs) Bless Apple, as you release this book, Yosemite is not far off. How do you anticipate handling that? Will there be an update to this book, or are you just going to need to release a second edition at some point that people will need to repurchase? It's really funny because we held off because of Mavericks. We were waiting mm-hmm. for Mavericks to be released. And then, lo and sure. behold, look what happens. You know, we, Now yeah. we get Yosemite. The plan is to do an addendum for the book. Okay. I can't tell you any more than that because I don't know any more right. than that, but... 
what they do, what National Braille Press has done with their other books, too, is we keep updating them. I don't, I don't think we're doing a whole book. In fact, I know we're not going right. to do a whole book. Gotcha. We'll just okay. do an addendum. You know, it's the same thing like when we went from Mountain Lion to Mavericks. Not everything changed. Right. One would think that mail might, just from a little bit about what has been spoken about on, you know, just the changes. But like you say, there will be much that will remain uh, very much the same. So it makes sense that an addendum would work. So now that you're finished with the process, is it something that you can honestly say that you enjoyed? Was it a lot harder than you anticipated? What are your thoughts kind of looking backward? It took up a lot of time but I actually mm-hmm. enjoyed doing it because I was learning as I was going. And sure. so for me, it was a, a wonderful learning experience. And it was nice to be able to put it in a format that people can understand if you're not a tech person. So mm-hmm. I actually enjoyed the experience. Do you know if Apple is actually aware of this book? Have you spoken with them in the preparation? I mean, are, are, are they aware that you've done this? As far as I know, they are not. I had spoken to Diane, and according to her, they really haven't shown any interest in any of these books. That's interesting. That's fascinating. But, yeah. You know, they have their own tech people that are trained to support voiceover. Right. And I don't know. I, if mm-hmm. there's a way to let Apple know about the book, I, I would... Gladly do that. Sure. Okay, well, I suppose one of the things we probably should do before we uh, wrap up here is let people know, first of all, how can they get a hold of the book itself? They can go to the National Braille Press website, which is www.nbp.org. There's a search box. You can put in Mac, and that should come up. If it doesn't, you can put in my last name, Ingber, I-N-G-B-E-R, and then Mac, and then it will definitely come up. There will be a link for it, and there will also be a combo box with all the various formats that you can get the book in. And it's a $20 book. Excellent. Great book at a great price. And how can people actually get in touch with you directly if they'd like to correspond with you? You know what? I'm on the podcast team at How to Be Blind, so you could just Mm -hmm. email me through that address, which is Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at Mm htb2.com. Okay. Excellent. And that podcast is on iBlink Radio as well. So check them out while you're kind of looking through all of the options there. Well, Janet, I'd like to thank you for joining Triple Click Home today. Really have enjoyed visiting with you. And I think you have a great book there. Thank you very much. And I love iBlink Radio and I listen to Triple Click Home. So I'm really honored that you asked for this interview. Thank you very much. And if you need a reference on iOS accessibility, well, we have one of those. Shelley Brisbane has written a very comprehensive guide on accessibility features and use on iOS devices. And we're not just talking about voiceover here, people. This is all of accessibility, like the whole width and breadth from soup to nuts. She really tackled a bunch of stuff that nobody's tackled yet, really, in a very comprehensive way. And uh, we've got a link to her book on the show notes. And, of course... You can hear our interview with her, well, Lisa Salinger's interview with her on Serotalk podcast number 203. She's a very interesting person to talk to. I mean, she's written for a long time, and she hasn't always Mm -hmm. written about low vision or assistive technology. In fact, she's been a very mainstream technology writer and has covered Mm -hmm. technology from a very mainstream perspective for a long time. Shelley's podcast has been around since, I think, the early Cretaceous, perhaps. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh, let's not make her that old. 
Oh, All kidding aside, she actually has been podcasting for a long time and not just to our mm-hmm. audience. And so really she comes at this from an interesting perspective, both as somebody with a disability herself, who is also a mainstream tech writer, but uh, who also uses this stuff. And also someone who's been doing this sort of work for a long time. I think she's been doing tech writing thingies from at least the 90s. Yeah. Mm, Nice. So she's been around a while. And so I think that that's a perspective really that we don't get a lot in our community. So um, props to Shelly. Hims is proud to introduce the Blaze EZ, our new handheld multiplayer. Blaze EZ gives you power and versatility in a device that's simple to use. Blaze EZ is in a league all of its own. A 5 megapixel camera gives you the power to scan menus, brochures, and other printed texts. Wi-Fi gives you access to podcasts, internet radio, and other content. Bluetooth lets you connect wirelessly to an external speaker of your choice. And there's so much more. For more information, visit us at www.hims-inc.com. Hems, your needs are our solutions. Shall we move on to games, buddy? Games, yeah. Some of these games sound like a lot of fun. Yeah. I have not tried um, Audio Speed myself. I haven't tried any of these games yet. No. In fact, this racing game for the Mac and PC sounds like a ton of fun. It does. And it's not very expensive as as games go. Twenty bucks for this this racing game, and I'm not really well, it's actually not twenty really, euros. So twenty it's euros, yeah. So it's kind of more like thirty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, it's okay. But this sounds like fun. Yeah, and it's available for Mac and PC. Yeah, what I'm not clear on though, it sounds like it's multiplayer, but I'm not really clear on that. Right. I'm with you on that. It looked like it was gonna be, and then the article didn't come right out and. And say, say that. that. So right. I thought it was going to be uh, yet another car game, but it's not. It's starships. Yeah. Yeah, starships. But you can use a steering wheel if you want, mm-hmm. or a joystick. It sounds more like you'd probably have better luck with a joystick or a game controller. Right. Sure. Just from the description, it sounds like you know a steering wheel and pedals probably would not be the ideal way to handle this game. Although, who knows? Maybe it would be all right. Well, from the fun and whimsical to the more practical and sometimes frightening, actually, which is weather. Well, yeah, that's just because you live in Missouri. <laughs> yes, I do. If you don't like the weather in Missouri, just wait about an hour and it'll change. So You know what? Everybody says that. We that said it in funny. Texas, and everywhere I go, somebody says that, and they, <laughs> and they laugh like they made it up, right? It's like, yeah. man, I hear that everywhere. We have tornadoes, except, well, tornadoes, except if you're listening to uh, Samantha on iOS, it's a Torado, a Torado watch. I don't know why she can't say tornado, <laughs> but she can't. If you go through it word by word, I'll bet you she says tornado. It, it's, but it's correct, yes. Probably the exact same reason why Karen cannot say the word seafood in context. <laughs> it is seafood. Oh my goodness. You go to a seafood restaurant. <laughs> hmm. But yes, weather radio, a lot of people like this weather radio app. And the developers have put quite a bit of work into voiceover accessibility on iOS. And the hints are really good. And there are some custom gestures that you do some double tapping. Interestingly enough, double tap to actually rotor through settings. And then once you get to the setting you want, then you double tap with one finger. I don't know that I've ever seen that done before, but it works. Cool. Yeah. You know, and, and while you're waiting in your storm cellar for the tornado to pass, you can play a game of blackjack. If you're not playing blackjack, 
which you could do. You could totally do that while you're hanging out in your bunker. You, you could. Waiting for the tornado to pass. Then you could use this AFB Career Connect app, right, Alita? That's right. Okay. Yeah. AFB has just launched a new app called Career Connect, which we all know is part of their website. And it includes much of the content that's available on the website from your handy dandy mobile device. It's very similar to the Access World app that they also have available. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but the Access Notes, is that correct? Is that Access Note. Access Note is free. Is it free forever or is it free for a limited time? That's what I'm wondering about. Good question. It was free last week. I know. I don't know if it's free for a lifetime, but those of you who have hesitated to get it because it's $20, go grab it. I know a lot of people enjoy using it as a great way to take notes. Yeah, um, and you can use Flexi, apparently. I have not investigated yeah. this very far, but apparently you can use Flexi with it. Well, and that makes it even more appealing, to be honest with you. Yeah. Or if you're uh, Russian or uh, that one guy that interviewed them, um, you can use Flesky. Flesky. I love Flesky. Okay. I see that so much That's on awesome. Twitter. <laughs> I see it all the time on Twitter. Flesky. So if you are still looking for career tips or just want to read the blog, um, Career Connect's a pretty fantastic resource for all of us. Um, I highly recommend investigating all ye job hunters slash people who just want to learn new things that they need to better at their jobs that they already currently have. And then you can play blackjack. Then you can play, <laughs> yes, then you can play yes, blackjack. <laughs> and just about the time I was putting the stories to bed for this podcast, up, up pops this article on a new app that's being worked on that doesn't even really have a name yet, but basically it's going to let people navigate uh, like construction areas. You could put an iBeacon in a construction zone. This actually sounds really cool. It really does. I, yeah. And it sort of alluded to having uh, using iBeacons or whatnot for uh, accessible traffic signals. Yes, yes, right. absolutely. Like how many lanes of traffic there are. Whether mm-hmm. you can go yet or not. How long your light is. Yeah. I'll tell you guys, the one thing that for travel purposes that I've always really struggled with is that when I'm in a new area, sometimes I can tell by the flow of traffic if I'm at a lighted intersection. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I can't. Right. I usually can, although it takes standing there a long time and then people oh, yeah. say, hey, sir, 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 <laughs> sir. <laughs> And that's when okay? Buddy says, you leave can, me can alone. Now, sir, can, sir. <laughs> shut up, leave me alone. <laughs> I'm All trying to word. listen. L- you- leave me alone. Yeah. That's leave, right. me lo- leave me alone. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, you're right, buddy. There are times when I can tell, but even on like, and, and it's specifically for major streets. Like, oh, uh-huh. sometimes I know that there might be a lighted intersection, but it really depends. Like, you can be on a, in, especially in the larger cities, you can be on a major street and you need to cross said major street at some point. Right. Well, you better find a place where that's actually safe you to do. You better find a place. Yeah, well, for sure. And then, you know, not all lighted intersections are created equal. Many are computer right. controlled and right. and um, controlled by little pressure plates that determine how many cars are waiting to go through the intersection. And then you have to mm-hmm. find the button and all this sort of thing. So it's not is spiffy and nice and neat and clean as it used to be. And I really don't appreciate the attitude from some people in our community that says, oh, I can just use my GPS app on my device and then I won't need well, no, you to can't. have any 
orientation to wherever you I'm going. So can't. I agree with you. It's right. a great tool. Don't right. don't misunderstand me. But I think that there are people even in the sighted community though that think that having these apps are gonna be a solution to our travel problems. Well no, it's the solution to their travel problems. <laughs> right. How many now people have you have you ridden in the car? With? No, 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 no. I mean oh, okay. like Jeep in car GPS. Uh, oh well, okay. GPS told me I have to turn here. Oh, Wait, there's oh, nowhere to yeah. turn, but the GPS said I have to turn. Uh-huh. I have to turn now. Uh-huh. See, my mind was going, What hap- when's the last time voiceover just decided to quit working on your phone? Because it does happen oh, God. occasionally. It does. Oh, yeah. It yeah. will sometimes yeah. just die. And you, by God, you. better be able to get yourself out of a jam if you need to. Yeah. And Absolutely. no, don't misunderstand me. I think the GPS is a wonderful tool. I think sure. it's fantastic. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. It's an amazing asset. But in its context. Yes. Right. And I think about the I fact agree. that when I was living in Vancouver, I decided to travel home from Portland. And I did that because I'm a cheapskate. And it was cheaper for me to go over the river and find myself a bus Through or a the train woods to in Portland oh, than it was for me to go from <laughs> Vancouver. I just wasn't willing to pay the extra fee to literally like walk over the border. And there were a couple times when I took the max back to a place where I could then go over the river to Washington. And I got lost multiple times. And that is when I relied on human beings. And my GPS app was not going to get me home. I'll tell you that. <laughs> like, All right. there's tell no that way. Right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I'm really excited about this app, but we have, to, we have to continue to realize that this is just another tool in our toolbox, guys. You cannot come with the attitude that you don't need proper orientation and mobility skills to go along with it. You never have to ask anybody for help ever again. Forget it. Right. Yeah. That's such a terrible attitude to have. Like, I think the best asset for anybody with a disability is the ability to advocate for yourself. And guess what? That means sometimes walking up to somebody or waiting for somebody to show up and for Mm -hmm. you to admit that you don't know where you are. Yeah. Yep. The other thing too, really, is something I've noticed about a lot of blind people really, and I don't know, maybe to some extent sighted people too, is we get really freaked out about getting lost. Uh, I, I mean, really freaked out about getting <laughs> lost. Yeah. Well, no, but see, you, you know how to get out of it. Some people just are paralyzed. Right. And because unfortunately, I don't think that we were all taught skills to cope with being lost. Mm-hmm. And so... Oh no, I'm lost. What do I do now? You know, and, and we weren't all necessarily taught how to work our way out of it. And that does a lot of us a disservice. Yeah, it does. I don't mind getting lost so much. Yeah, it's a little scary sometimes, but I don't mind so much because it's just, oh, well, okay, I'm lost. I guess I got to figure out how to get unlost again. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, so then you what? You look for clues. Okay, like there's a parking lot here. Right. If I go across this parking lot, I'll probably find a door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about being lost, Jamie? You know, I was sitting here thinking as we're talking, I'm like you guys, I don't particularly like it, but there are ways to deal with it. But I think even the sighted right. community could use some lessons sometimes on what to do when you're lost. Because I I mean, you can be in an airport and mm-hmm. be with a sighted person and they can get pretty turned yep. around. And that panic does, you do have to fight that panic down and stop and keep your wits. And think, okay, you know, these are I mean, my my wife and I were in an airport rather late at night on the way uh-huh. home, and she Ooh, couldn't remember yeah. where airports the car was. Are, yeah, airports at night are scary because they're quiet. Yeah, they right. are, and big. 
<laughs> yeah. And big. huge. And there's yeah. nobody in them. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. I think that's always, you know, honestly, getting lost is really frustrating. But my biggest fear is always that I'm going to get lost where nobody else is. <laughs> and it's going to be. <laughs> it's happened to me before. It's so oh, yeah. fun. It's totally yeah. happened to me before. And then you just stand there and you're like, well. Okay, well, I could turn Hello. around. <laughs> anybody help me, please? <laughs> and then you stand there with this dumb you. look on your face and think, oh. What century am I in? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I, I'll fully admit to you guys that I've used FaceTime to get myself hey. out of binds before. <laughs> Go you know? for it. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll never forget, though, I totally got on the wrong rail train getting back to Vancouver and mm. wound up at the basketball stadium, which is this giant transfer station. So you're under a bridge to start off with. And then there's really not any car traffic because everything is in that particular area is limited to buses and trains. And the train I had to get to was theoretically a block to my west. And I'm standing under this bridge and I call up my husband and he's looking at the map and he says, honey, I cannot describe this to you. I don't get it. <laughs> I'm like, well, <laughs> whoops. Okay. I'll just stand here and hope some human being finally shows up because I'm not going to go like play the let me see if I can find the train game. It's not worth it to me. <laughs> no. So uh, oh, thankfully, I got rescued. Is it this noisy train or is it this other noisy train? <laughs> yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. So thank you. I'm really excited to see these new apps pop up, and I hope that it ends up working. I would love one that really helped out with construction, though, because there are times when that's really the scariest thing. Is you're like you walk up to the intersection and you hear the noise, and your brain goes, "Well, crap." It's even better then because then your dog's trying to work through it and everything, and you've got guys running up to you all in a panic. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, um, miss, miss, let me just, um, um, take you this way. And, uh, like the other day I was walking downtown and some guy was using his pressure washer to clean something and he was blocking the entire sidewalk and Empress, like she was thinking about, well, mom, we could like go into the street and go around. And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> I'm not down with that. <laughs> nice I don't really thought, know what no. blocking me into. And guy finally turned off his power pressure washer and he was like, Oh, let me take care of this barricade for you. And I was like, that would be really neat. Thank you. (laughs) Be awesome. Yeah. But just think about where we would have been five years ago. if. Oh, my God. Can you guys believe it's been five Five years? Five years that iOS, voiceover on iOS has been out. I totally remember how excited I was Mm -hmm. that Apple came out with this way that we could access this phone that was all touchscreen. Right. You know, before that, Touchscreen phones were like Windows phones mm-hmm. with mobile speak for Windows phone on them. And, you know, if you think that iOS changes gestures for us to accommodate vision disabilities, you have no idea because, like, the way that Code Factory did touchscreens, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can pretty much forget anything that anyone tells you about touchscreens with those because it was basically they turned the touchscreen into four buttons yeah mm-hmm. and you use the four buttons to do things right right and when apple came out with this oh you can access any of the controls that are here mm-hmm. 
it was pretty revolutionary. And uh, there was a lot of excitement around it. There was a lot of skepticism around it. There was a lot of, this ain't going to work. Right. Oh, yeah. Lots of that. Were you on the one of the first Shane Jackson podcasts, or I can't remember if you were on those or not with him. He got to go. I with, was on some of them. Yeah. The 3GS was released in like July. I didn't get mine until like October. Okay. I remember Shane and some of his friends sitting down and talking. Oh, yeah. We all, we all talked about it, and we were all very excited yeah. about it. And Shane got one of the first ones. He was yep. like in line, <laughs> you know, seven in the morning. To, right. You know, when the AT&T store opened and got his. Yep. It was exciting times. It was, this was like new revolutionary stuff. And we all saw just endless vistas opening before us. And there were articles written by people who are, were pretty prominent in our field who said, ah, this isn't going to work. This is no this good. This isn't going to work. Touch screens are not productive. Yeah. And then right. those people played with them and they're like, I'm going to play with this for 30 days and I'm going to send it back. And then mm-hmm. 30 days they later, they still it. had it. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. fun on Twitter. <laughs> and now fast forward five years and this is all just so passe. I mean, oh, yeah. who would have thought? Yeah. Right. Having access to iOS has just opened so many doors. And I think about the fact that I'm on my fourth iPhone And that's just amazing to me. You're on your fourth? I think I'm only on my third. There you go. No, you're right. I'm only on my third because I went from the 3GS to the 4S to the 5S. I've only been an (laughs) S'er. Yes, yes. Remember, we we are S people, you'll recall. We're S people. At least you're not BS people. Yeah, right. Uh, Mm, Yeah. Speak for yourself. Um, (laughs) I was going to say I have a BS. Oh, okay. Um, nice. Nice. And an MS. I love that I can now add more letters. Well, I'm going to be a sixer. I'm assuming that's what a they sixer? call it. There you yep. go. Unless it's like a phablet, I, I am also. I signed right. up on that Verizon Edge program. So yep. I'm doing it. That's probably going to happen. I got the Edge on my 5S. Yes, you end up paying the whole price for the iPhone, but you get into the iPhone cheaper initially because you just pay basically taxes and shipping on it. Right. Plus your first payment. And then every month after that, you know, they add the $30 or whatever it is to your bill. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to take that into account, obviously. But, I mean, the fact that we can even just talk about this is just amazing. Yeah. This is a great article, a great reflection on the last five years. It's hard for me to really believe that I've been an iPhone user for five years, but I really think that that's kind of where I'm sitting at right now. And God, that's a long time. (laughs) I just... I want to think about it. You know, people talk about things that were game changers. This really was. This was a humongous game changer. It has been a game changer for all of us. And it really has been a game changer in education. So I really am excited that I'm going to be working with young students that don't even know it was what it was like to not have access to digital books. <laughs> I just huh. think that that's amazing. You know? yeah. Gone are our days of tape and... Silliness. Back in my day, people used to back have to read day. to us. That's right. <laughs> well, when we come back, we're going to go through our mailbag, which, by the way, is very, very uh, full this time around. So thank you very much to all of you that have called in with your eye reports. And we'll see you when we're done with the break. Looking for the perfect gift for a loved one with vision loss? Elegant Insights Braille Creations offers a distinctive collection of jewelry and accessories, all handcrafted, made in the USA, and embossed in crisp, readable Braille. 
find us on the web at elegantinsightsjewelry.com or call us at 509-264-2588. Elegant Insights Braille Creations. Jewelry and accessories with a tactile twist. Welcome back to Triple Click Home episode 31. And we've got a mailbag full of mail. Oh my gosh. So much mail. So much mail. I'm glad our mailbag isn't as rude as that other mailbag, though. Oh, me too. Belching on the podcast and everything. That was <sighs> gross, man. Eek. Yeah. So, hi, hi, nice mailbag. Yeah. So, first we've got an eye report from Aaron who tells us that Alina is just wrong. <laughs> Which, by the way, is really not a good thing to ever do. <laughs> you can tell me I'm wrong, but you're going to get an earful when you do it. But take it away, Aaron. <laughs> Hey, this is Amundsen, and I wanted to comment on the last episode of the Trip Co episode 30. Actually, my state rehab bought me a Braille Note Apex device because I told them I needed it for Braille music. So, Alina's comment on the state rehab services not buying for people Braille Notes or whatever is invalid because mine here in Kentucky did. And also being a music student, they are getting me the Dancing Dots suite of software so that I'm able to do everything else that my peers can do. So I believe that's a wrong assessment, and I am listening for the next one. Bye-bye. So I'm sorry, Aaron. I got to back Alina on this one. You're a case study of one. Yep. You got a Braille note, and that's fantastic. There are certainly use cases where that kind of technology can be justified. Yours would be one such. Most, however, are not. As Amanda demonstrates in just a minute, before she does, I think I want to let Alina have her say in her defense. So I'm with Buddy. Sorry, Aaron. You are a a single case of one. And let's be honest with each other and honest with ourselves that the Braille Note has a lot of good things to offer. And so does the Braille Sense and any other note taker that's out on the market. The problem becomes... When a child or a student refuses to learn anything else. And I experienced this while I was at the School for the Blind in Washington. I had a couple students who are very, very reluctant to learn how to use the computer. And that is a critical thing for anybody to learn, regardless of your disability. Especially if we're going to get our unemployment rate down. Yeah, let's remember, we got a 70% unemployment rate now, and that's unacceptable. And we really do need to strengthen the skills of utilizing the computer in addition to utilizing Braille. And when you hand a child a Braille note and say, this is a device that's going to be easy for you to use, I think that you give them a false sense of security. And that Mm -hmm. becomes a real big problem when they graduate from high school and they go to their counselor and the counselor says no. Because most of those kids, Aaron, are not going to be as lucky as you. No, they're really not. And beyond that... Are they, Amanda? (laughs) Yeah. And beyond that, it's something that you need to be comfortable not having access to. And you need to find other tools that are going to be just as useful without that $6,000 plus price tag that I honestly, even as a teacher, cannot justify in many cases. And what's going to happen when that obsoletes? Uh-huh. 
Absolutely. You're going to have to buy another one. That's and I can huge. guarantee you yeah. the state ain't going to buy you another one just because you want one. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to figure out some other way to get one. But um, right. anyway, uh, we appreciate your view and your opinion on this. However, I'm sorry. I think you're wrong. Wrong, I believe, is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> and so I think does Amanda. Hi, everybody. This is Amanda Markham. And I was just listening to the Triple Click Home podcast. I'm a avid listener. And I was listening to the part where you talk about how Students are using Braille notes and such and, you know, not having learned newer technology and how they should use a regular, you know, computer keyboard and all that kind of stuff. And as somebody who's used both computers and Braille note takers, I've found recently that I've actually kind of lost some of the Braille skills I've learned because of the fact that I'm now 26 and out of college and I do not have a note taker and the only thing I have is a laptop computer and I've tried to stress to my state agency to get a Braille display for a current volunteer job that I was looking into and they told me that they can't purchase one because it's a volunteer job and that I'd have to have a paid job for that to be purchased. So I just wanted to leave that comment and hopefully that's one that gets included in the next Triple Click Home podcast. So have a great evening everybody and I'll be talking to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Yes, I think Amanda was very clear in her opinion. And unfortunately, Amanda, the word that did you in for why you weren't able to get the technology that you want or need was volunteer. Unfortunately, Voc Rehab expects to put us into things that will pay us so that we can be contributing members of society and pay our taxes. And, and volunteering is a wonderful thing to oh, do. Oh, volunteering and that is stop absolutely you. No, no. In fact, in fact, volunteering is fantastic because it gives you mm-hmm. actual work experience that will experience. lead to something, or that could potentially lead to something much better that right. will actually give you money for doing it. Which and you're contributing that. to society, which is certainly no small thing. So I certainly don't mean to discount volunteer jobs because volunteer jobs are as as important as any other kind. But just to say that, um, unfortunately, Voc Rehab has their rules, and one of them is mm-hmm. that you have to a have, job has to yeah, be you have to have paying you money. And also beyond that, if you guys are feeling like you're not getting enough exposure to Braille and you don't have access to a Braille display, hey, guess what? We still have this great thing called the National Library Services. And it puts Braille on this stuff called paper. 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 <laughs> I know. Paper. And they're big and they're bulky, paper. but guess what? You don't have to give up reading Braille just because you don't have access to electronic devices. So remind yourself of that. And by the way, you can get your free slate and stylus from the National Federation of the Blind. That's right. 
by going to nfb.org slash free dash slate dash program. Nice. Slate and Stylus is a fantastic skill to have, even if you don't use it often. I don't use it I'm often. I'm going to hold you guys to make me accountable, but I promise to teach it to my students. I'm going to cool. find the time. Yeah. Because a lot of TBIs don't. Right. They don't teach it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I but think it's that's a shame. so useful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even if you only used it once every six months, you know? <laughs> right. And the slate doesn't take up a new, and the batteries never die. Yeah. I have a friend who's uh, about the same age as I am, and he says, you know, Alina, I'll always use my slate and stylus because guess how I get girls' numbers at the bar? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know? This is one of those important life lessons, That's guys. Right. So, and honestly, you know, there are times slate. when I have to have a quick thing that I can pull out of a drawer that's got really critical information that I don't want anybody else to know. And I'm the only one who can read it. Speaking of things like that. Yeah. Okay. Remember when I signed up for Apple's two-factor authentication? Yes. Mm. And they give you that 14-character code that they say, write this down and put it somewhere? Uh Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. I just um, took mine out and I got some my roll of Dymo tape and Uh I- Took down my 14-character code. code. Yeah. And I stuck the Dymo tape on the bottom of my MacBook Pro. Nice. So I'm not going to lose it, and right. he's going to be able to read it. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not your average MacBook thief. Nicely nice. done. Couldn't have done that without my slate. That's right. There you go. And Braille's a really popular topic this time, It guys. is a really popular topic. Look at topic. this one. Here's some more about how Braille has changed over the years. Oh, yeah. Miss Sandy is going to talk about what she experienced in the 60s when she was learning Braille and we adopted, as a country, officially adopted, contracted grade two Braille. When contracted changed. Yes, contracted changed. It was still contracted. Right. So take it away, Sandy. Enlighten us. Hello, this is Sandy Finley calling. This is for Triple Click Home. This is for the Angry Goons. I was just listening to your podcast and you were talking about unified Braille talking about when Braille changed in 1960. I was at elementary school at the time, and before 1960, you might be interested in knowing. Today was TO-D, tomorrow was TO-M, tonight was TO-N. Those were changed, and I was in about fourth grade. As was friend. Friend became FR. It used to be F-R-I-E-N sign D. So those are some of the other changes in the 1960 Braille. I totally agree with you that the taking away of the BLV and the TO is a sighted thing. Somehow we've managed to muddle through and handle contracted Braille just fine. Now all of a sudden we're really dumb. Thanks a lot. Enjoy your show. Yeah, you know, actually I'd forgotten about a couple of those. Yes, friend, today, tomorrow. I'll bet that was a bit confusing Mm -hmm. uh, when you had to learn those new ones. The other one that I'm thinking of when she was talking about those were like words that ended in E-N. If you ran into a word that ended with E-N in the pre-1960 Braille, they actually wrote the E-N out. Correct. Okay. It was only if the E-N was at the end of a sentence because you had a punctuation mark. And so you had the E-N written out, whereas... If it was in the middle, it, it was like an E-N sign. But mm-hmm. I guess that was so that you wouldn't confuse it with a punctuation mark or something. But I also appreciated her uh, perspective that <laughs> she agrees with us yes. that this whole getting she rid of with us. two yeah. into was C-O-M, 
that's a cited issue. And it really bothers me that we somehow are just getting shafted on these contractions that we, I don't, I, I haven't experienced yet a student that has a problem with those drop signs being confused no, for punctuation. I agree. I agree. No, on the one hand, Braille is certainly something that's, it's not static. It's in flux. I get that. But on the other hand, uh, I hate to say that I think there need to be good reasons for making changes because mm-hmm. I'm sure somebody's going to come up with some research study or so. I actually, when I was at this conference at Perkins, one of these TVIs from California was talking about how he thought that contracted Braille is actually useless and we shouldn't even have it because, number one, it doesn't really save that much room. Oh, my God. Yes, it does. And number two, you know, <laughs> since we've got Braille displays now anyway and use them more, it's less relevant. Number three, um, it's just needlessly difficult and and all this other stuff. And it's <sighs> like, really, dude? I saw this study. There was this study that was done by so-and-so, and they proved that, you know, reading speed does not significantly decrease with grade one, and and it doesn't really take up, you know, it only takes up such and such percentage more space. And I'm not a and fast Braille reader, and I'll really tell you what, my speed decreases by a lot when I switch yeah, to grade one. <laughs> I, I agree. Well, it's just because you're used to it, Alina. That's what he would oh, say. Okay. But, but I wasn't buying, and, you know, you, you can make a study say anything you want if you want to, but... I don't know. I think there uh, was just it was making me crazy. I love the reasoning for why we can't keep the cuddle words, which was that we don't cuddle anything in print. Have you ever witnessed a blind child writing the words and for next to each other? I haven't. Because I haven't either. I'm sure that it's happened. No, the bigger thing that's happened is that our kids aren't always expected to spell and so oh, they learn really the grade. The, they learn the grade two abbreviations for things, but they're not expected to also do their spelling in grade one. And mm-hmm. so then they don't learn how to spell. So right. when I went through school, because I learned Braille when I was like five or sure, something, sure. but when I had spelling tests, I was expected, and I wouldn't get the points if I did not do my spelling words in grade two, followed by grade one. one. Yep. Excuse me. Contracted followed by uncontracted. Yes. And beyond that, it's really critical that you always treat things as what they really are. So the and sign isn't the and sign. It's the A-N-D sign. Oh, it's A-N-D. It's the F-O-R sign. It's the A-T-I-O-N sign. It's, oh, I'm sorry, that one's going away. It's the (laughs) O-U-N-D sign. Because our children need to realize these are sometimes part words, sometimes they're whole words, but they're still those letters. And that's what they're representing so that they get that it is an understanding of how to spell a word. Yeah, I agree with you. And doing the grade two followed by the grade one, the contracted followed by the uncontracted really reinforces that. Right. And kids who don't get that are really being done a disservice in my always humble opinion. Well, and I'm so looking forward to the fact that I'm now going to have to teach my students both systems. I'm really excited. Oh, about that. yeah, that is great. Be, yeah. You know, I'm going to yeah. have to because think of how much literature we have that's in contracted Braille. Think of how many books uh-huh. that we're going to continue to order over the next decade that are all going to be in yep. contracted Braille. Are they going to repress them? No, all? they're not. I don't think so. It's too much money. It's expensive. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And so now I have to tell them 
so, um, you know, that contraction. Right, and this change is a lot more fundamental than the change from 19, whatever, pre, 60, to pre, yeah. pre-1960 to, right. to post-1960. Right. Because you can still read the stuff that was done before 1960 right. if you know how to spell. Mm-hmm. With this stuff, if you only learn unified. And you come across to, or BLE. Yeah. You won't know what it is. Yeah, you're going to be in a world of hurt. <laughs> So yeah, I'm I'm really excited about. I gotta say, I I actually have my braille display set to unified, and I did that because I need to train my brain <laughs> that this is something right. I'm going to come across. And As of right now, I, I don't think the braille edge allows for that, and I'm sure they're going to change that. Oh, really? Soon. Okay, but that's okay. That's something that I will do as soon as it's possible. It's just going to be a braille table. Up Every time I come across Absolutely. the word to, yeah. I just my brain goes error. <laughs> error. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm like, oh, right, okay. Well, Sorry. finally, speaking of Braille displays... And, some and more, paying for them. Stan has some information on a program that might be of some help with that. Good evening, everyone. This is Stan Luttrell. Hmm, these comments may be used against me. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway, I uh, wanted to mention I'm calling from uh, Medford, Oregon, and that is a town in southern Oregon. And there is a program that uh, I haven't used but I've learned about called Dream Savers. And this is sort of a follow-up to your comment about getting money for adaptive technology and things of this sort. There is a program called Dream Savers, and I don't know how widely available it is, but there's some information that people can fill out, and there is a collaboration with several banks at least in southern Oregon. I don't know how, as I said, how far, how widespread it is. But if you say, let's say, want to save several thousand dollars, let's say you want to buy a piece of adaptive technology, or you're saving to buy, I don't know, a condo or something. Anyway, if you put in, let's say, $2,000, in three years, they will match three times that amount. So you have... $6,000 for your original investment of 2000 So if you're saving for one of those pricey Braille displays that a lot of us would love to have a better one than we currently do, well, then you could do that. So I just thought I'd pass that along. Once again, uh, I always try to listen to Triple Click Home as well as the other podcasts from Serotalk. Have a pleasant day. So this is a program, Stan, that I have not ever heard of. Me either. There are other programs. Some states have low-interest loan programs for disability-related adaptations, and I don't wonder that uh, someone couldn't use that to obtain some of this kind of equipment. We're talking about, like, you know, 3% interest or something. Right. These are run on a state-by-state basis, so you'd have to check your individual state for a program like that, and they're all called something different. But that and then this program. And so there are ways to get this stuff if you can't get the government to buy you one. That's right. There are, there are ways to get it. The thing is that people need to keep remembering is that once you've got a job, Voc Rehab's like, cool, see ya. Don't really need Later. to help you anymore. And then, you case know, closed. Case closed. And then I'm even sitting with the prospect of being. Kind of concerned, like I got an outdated version of a screen reader, which I will not name. And, (laughs) you know, I'm fully prepared that that may be something I have to pay for. Now, my school district or my whoever hires me might be willing to pay for it. 
but I also need to be responsible. And that's kind of daunting when I think about the fact that one of our uh, companies just came out with a training program that I can get for the tune of $995. I was just... Mm, thank you, no. So angry. <laughs> it's not even funny. Yeah, well, well, yeah, and then you're going to have to get it for $995 all over again next mm-hmm. year. Yeah. I thought, well, isn't that a neat way for you to bring more money into your company and exploit me all at the same time? Thank you so very much for doing that. That's awesome. Yeah. But something that you probably can afford. Yeah. How about 29 bucks? But it's the 5C. I'm good with that. Yeah. (laughs) The 5C. How about 99 bucks if if you're feeling like splurging? Okay, that I can do. There you go. Yeah. What if I don't want to support Walmart, buddy? (laughs) Well, then I'm just host. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> but Walmart, or as some people around this part of the country call it, the Walmart. Yes. Oh, I like calling it Wally World. <laughs> yeah. Wally World. Or my favorite, the Walmart. Walmart. <laughs> we'll sign you up for an iPhone 5C for the low, low price of twenty nine dollars on a two year contract. If you want a 5S, you can uh, pony up ninety nine dollars. And that price is, quote, unquote, permanent. <laughs> and by permanent, we mean until September. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Because, well, it's pretty obvious to me that somebody's trying to clear out inventory. Uh-huh. And when September rolls around and the next iPhone comes out, those prices are going right back up. That's right. So get them while you can. Do you guys think the 5C is going to be phased out? Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I think that we're going to see a 6 Mm-hmm. And the 5S. 5S. I think the 5S is going to be the yeah. the 5C. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially if we're going to talk about a 4.7-inch screen. Yeah. We'll see. Do you have any picks that you want to talk about before we wrap up? I suppose mine would, would have to be Weather Radio, and I know we've already talked about it, but I do like it. It is a cool app. Oh, good. I'm, nice. I'm pleased with it. I haven't gotten any new apps. You haven't gotten any new apps? A drought has hit the Brennan household. <laughs> Blind Racer? I think that's what it's called. I was trying to decide. I think I played with that briefly and it's, I took it off. It's cute. It's, that's kind of, that, that's a good word. Yeah. That's a good word. It's cute. So if you enjoy racing games, you might enjoy that one. And then there are two apps that I hopefully will start using in my classroom that just came out for the iPad. And that is Exploring Braille, which really is only useful, unfortunately, if you have access to a Braille display. But hopefully that will be something that won't be too challenging. And it's a great little app that teaches both parents and children about the Braille alphabet and does it in a fun and interactive way. And then there's another one called Math Robot, and it's an accessible math application. I've heard of this. And I'm really excited about that one because we need to have really basic math apps that are blind kids can use. And I'm pretty excited about looking at this okay, one. Okay, I want another commitment from you, Alina. Okay, what's my other commitment? I will teach the abacus. That was it. Thank you. I'm good. Love it. You Batteries what, don't buddy? die on those either. Not only am I going to teach the abacus, but one of my goals is to try and get elementary teachers to use it in their classroom. With oh, all that would be so awesome. Students. Mm-hmm. Because I truly believe that it is a math tool that is accessible and useful for all kids, regardless. I agree with you 100%. It makes math real. It gives people a very physical concept yeah. of how the numbers work. Right. 
And honestly, one of the things I'm not sure how I feel about is what they call the primary abacus. Oh, you're the one with the big beads? Yeah, I'm talking about the two-column one. It's two columns of ten beads apiece. Correct. I don't know. (laughs) And it's only useful through about second grade because then we start getting into larger numbers. And then I feel like then you confuse the child because you introduce the five bead. And I'm not really sure that that's a good idea. I'm one of those people that sometimes says that it's better to come from the approach of them learning the difficult quote unquote concepts first rather than playing the you have to go in order of difficulty. Yeah. So that's one of my goals. I'm definitely going to teach the abacus. I think that it's a fantastic tool that was never provided to me because I was a low vision student. And it makes me sad that I think there's a lot of things that our low vision kids don't ever get introduced to. And it's because we've decided that they have enough vision to not need them. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of blind kids don't get it anymore either. So they really don't get the sleep. I was very lucky. Unless they've got a teacher that's passionate about giving them all of their options. I didn't learn the slate until fifth or sixth grade. Right. But at least you learned it. And I learned it too. But at least I learned it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not fast at it, (laughs) but I can use it. Oh, I'm not fast at it by anybody's stretch of anybody's wild imagination. I have a Braille book in my collection called The Abacus Made Easy, and I forget the publication date, but I've still got that. Good. I have an abacus somewhere, but I'll be darned if I know where it is. <laughs> I need to hunt for that thing. I'll tell you what, Jamie, it's easier than using a calculator sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it is. Division's kind of hard I sometimes, know. but I'll tell you what, even though I don't always use a physical abacus, I always use a mental one. It's like I can do math in my head because I have an abacus in my head. Right. It's kind of cool. Nice. Yeah. So I'm really excited that um, more apps for education are being developed and we got to continue to utilize the things that are available to us. I've talked to some teachers that say they don't start teaching screen readers until third grade. And my brain went, uh, which is just nuts. That, no, that doesn't, that, no. Yeah. I, doesn't I don't want my students to be, you know, I want them to be on a level playing field. And we've got, I mean, think about it guys. We are beyond entering the digital age. We are in it. And we've got yeah. kids that have started playing with, touchscreens and computers at the age of like two. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to wait till they're nine. Kids using Siri to call because my mommy fainted. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to put our blind kids even further behind. That just makes me crazy. I know. So I can't promise that I'm going to revolutionize anything, but I'm committed to making technology a part of their lives early on. Any kid who has you, Mrs. Roberts, is a very, very lucky kid. Thank yes. you. So, yes. I'm really excited. Triple click home. On that happy note, we would like to thank all of y'all for spending a little time with us this month. Yes. And we invite you to come back for our next episode next month. And um, in the meantime, of course, you can always get in touch with the show by dropping us a comment on the blog page at tripleclickhome.com. Mm-hmm. You can email resources at serotalk.com. You can leave us an iReport on your Android or your iOS device, uh-huh. which can make phone calls. Yes. And you can send us a tweet on Twitter at twitter.com slash tripleclickhome. And, of course, there's the Blab line at 866-997-2522. Jamie, what's our uh, tweet 
numbers up to? Like 10.5K last time we checked. Oh my gosh. It's it's amazing. It just blows my tiny mind. It does blow my little tiny mind. And I really hope that a good portion of those Twitter followers are also listening to our podcast. That would be really neat. Yes. It would be. We appreciate all of you. That's right. If you want to follow the three of us on Twitter, and as we always say to you, those are our personal accounts. I say all kinds of things that have nothing to do with Serotech. Views and and opinions of Serotech, its staff management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. And you probably would find out very quickly what does Alina really think about things happening in her in in the, in the country yes very quickly you can follow me at twitter.com slash blind perspective and that's b-l-i-n-d-p-e-r-s-p-e-c-t-i-v i'm buddy brannon you can follow me at twitter.com slash b-b-r-a-n-n-a-n and if i'm running low on gold or particularly proud of myself i do tweet <laughs> dice roll wins i will state it up front publicly <laughs> and i will not stop you do jb I will try you not should to be ashamed of yourself uh, <laughs> no i'm kidding hey i was on a roll it's the other okay. night. i tweet i what tweet zombies I win. you so. do you do and I, I like them every single morning i see buddies i like it Zombies run We're not on being Facebook. Active and buddy is. You know, uh, twitter.com slash Jamie Pauls, J A M I E P A U L S. And I do tweet things other than dice roll wins, by the way. That's true. So we'll see you next month. <laughs> Bye, y'all.